The Oracle Look deeper. listening to For the Victim, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised. One of the worst things a parent can ever go through is the loss of a child. No parent ever expects that they would bury their son or daughter Yet, it tragically happens every day. The only thing that can make the death of a child more unbearable is not knowing where your child is. At least, not all of them. It is unimaginable for a parent only to have bits and pieces of what happened to their child. To have only bits and pieces of their child. For the victim typically examines the whole story, which includes the crime itself. However, the exact details of Ashley Young's murder are unknown. Her murderer never confessed or shared specific details of this horrific crime. Ashley's murder was solved by the evidence that the police turned up in the investigation. Despite a successful murder investigation and prosecution, Ashley was never found in whole. Her hands, feet, neck, and head have never been found. Her family can never truly feel the justice they so desperately deserve when they can't even know her true story, know where her exact resting place is. On November 28, 2018, Ashley's mom, Chris, was trying to get in touch with her daughter but wasn't able to reach Ashley. The two were supposed to meet because Chris was going to co-sign on a new apartment for Ashley. It wasn't like her daughter not to answer. But even if she wasn't able to answer, she always called her mom back. Chris began to worry and continued to call Ashley over and over. The next morning, on November 29th, Chris was still unable to get in contact with Ashley. So she called the Kalamazoo Police Department and tried to report her daughter missing. It is undoubtedly the worst kind of phone call any parent could ever make. Immediately following the missing person's request, Chris started calling around to some of Ashley's friends, calling one friend in particular named Jared. Chris was hopeful that he had seen Ashley recently. She knew her daughter hung out with Jared within the last day or two, and her fingers were crossed that he may know where she was. Chris called Jared's phone on November 30th and left a voicemail asking if he knew where her daughter was. I'm looking for my daughter. She was last with you. Is she with you? You need to contact me and tell her I'm going to contact the police department to do a missing persons report. Chris felt relieved at first when Jared called her back. 
He told her that he was with Ashley the night prior. In fact, he said they were together at Mulligan's Pub and then the Hookah Lounge, just hanging out. Surveillance footage later confirmed they were together at both locations. Jared told Chris that he knew Ashley was okay when he left her with a guy named Taylor. He said he would help Chris look for Ashley and even went so far as to offer up Taylor's phone number to her. Before Chris reached Taylor though, Jared called him. He was worried about what Taylor would tell Ashley's mom, so he called and asked Taylor to lie to Chris, saying Ashley was with him. What Jared didn't count on was the fact that Taylor would refuse to lie. So when Chris did call him, he told her he didn't even know who Ashley was. Naturally, Chris reported this information to the police and thankfully they followed up immediately and opened an investigation. Chris was becoming desperate to find her daughter and was growing more frantic by the moment. Police believe that on November 29, 2018, or on November 30, 2018, Jared shot Ashley in the head and dismembered her body. However, because they weren't able to recover Ashley's entire body, the coroner couldn't determine the exact date of death or even the cause of death. On December 1, 2018, Jared called his parents, who lived in Holland, Michigan, which is about 30 miles away, asking them to come and pick him up. James and Barbara Chance, as well as their second son Conrad, drove to Grand Rapids and picked Jared up. As he exited his apartment, he carried a box with a big black bag that contained Ashley's body parts. It also included a mop, bucket, latex gloves, and ammonia. Jared's brother Conrad later testified that after they arrived at the home in Holland, Jared took something out of the bag or box and placed the item in the fire pit and burned it, but he didn't know what was burned. He further testified that while at home, Jared confessed to him that he killed Ashley and then told his parents. Cell phone records show that their family stopped at multiple apartment complex locations on their way back to Grand Rapids when they drove Jared back to his apartment. Police believe they were getting rid of Ashley's body parts, hands, feet, neck, and head in various dumpsters. Conrad testified that the entire family was crying on their way, driving Jared back. Following the cell phone records, police checked surveillance footage in several different areas of interest and located a video of Jared putting something into a dumpster, which was subsequently searched. Ashley's purse was found in that precise convenience store dumpster. The body parts that were found showed that Ashley was dismembered with a knife or a saw blade based on the marks on the bone and tissue found on her body. It was established that the murder took place at Jared's apartment at 922 Franklin Street, Southeast Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is a house that was converted into a duplex or two separate apartments. This particular duplex shared a floor or ceiling with an apartment on the top part of the house and one on the bottom of the house. Police determined this much because on December 2, 2018, Jared's neighbor Mario Nelson called 911, requesting police assistance. Mario lived on the lower level of the house and Jared lived on the upper level. On that evening, Mario and his then live-in girlfriend got a whiff of a putrid smell. It was so strong and seemed to be coming from below them. Thinking it was a sewer line in the basement that burst, Mario went to investigate and came across a tarp with blood dripping from it. 
he ran back to his apartment, calling 911. The police arrived and went down to the basement where they found a site that would shock even the most seasoned police detective beyond belief. There, they found Ashley Young's torso. Investigators left the house, securing the crime scene. The missing person case was now a homicide investigation. During their investigation, it was found that the dark-colored tarp was a big growing tent that is commonly used for growing marijuana. The canvas was black with a green stripe, and two similar tents were found inside of Jared's apartment. Police also found several 22 caliber casings in the apartment, although a gun was never found. Also found in the basement was a gray-colored saw case and saw blade that matched the blade marks on Ashley's recovered body parts. There was one of the bedrooms in Jared's apartment that was set up as a marijuana grow operation. A pair of jeans were found in the bathroom, and the jeans proved to have a human blood stain near the knee. There was a large stain in the kitchen in front of the stove, and there was another blood stain found, which appeared to have been cleaned up. One of the boxes found inside the apartment contained a fitted sheet, and it was stained and wet, again with what proved later to be human blood. Yet another box was found near Jared's front door containing various body parts. The evidence was mounting and very quickly stacking up against Jared. When reviewing Jared's phone and text message records, police discovered that Jared had recently texted his neighbor, Mario, asking him to lie about seeing Jared within the last couple of days. Additional evidentiary items included a trash can that was found on Jared's back porch. The trash can contained a work-type glove, a bottle of cleaning solution, a reciprocating saw blade, a shoe, and latex gloves. Police interviewed Jared's neighbor Mario after he called 911. He told police that Jared previously said to him that he knew how to murder someone and get rid of the evidence, and that was only days before the murder. Mario also told police that Jared said he knew how to clean a crime scene using some sort of soda, possibly Pepsi, although Mario couldn't remember specifically which, and a cleaning agent. He also stated that he saw Jared playing with a 22 revolver and that he often carried it with him. Jared told Mario his dad was a retired police officer and was part of the Irish mob. Mario said that he and Jared smoked weed together a few days before and that there was a female there, but Mario didn't know her name. But he was able to identify Ashley through a photo positively. Before his identification, he described her as having brown or red hair, wearing a white sweater, and black or brown leggings. He never saw the girl leave Jared's place. As this was unfolding, Jared was back with his parents, James and Barbara. On December 2, 2018, James took Jared to the Grand Rapids Police Department to turn himself in for Ashley's disappearance. James claimed that the Grand Rapids Police told him that it was a Kalamazoo Police Department missing persons case and he needed to contact them with information. However, the Grand Rapids Police contend that when James brought Jared in, he demanded that Jared had an attorney with him when he spoke to the police. But the police department doesn't keep defense attorneys on standby to talk with potential witnesses, and therefore, James would have to contact his attorney. On December 5, 2018, police served a search warrant on the Chances Home in Holland at 122 West 20th Street. Suspicions raised, police thought that Jared's parents had some involvement in at least helping him cover up this horrible, atrocious crime their son had committed. The search warrant proved to be fruitful, 
a reciprocating saw blade was found under a couch in their living room, and the saw was found to have traces of human blood and tissue. After the investigation into the chances, 78-year-old James and 65-year-old Barbara were charged with perjury and accessory after the fact. James was a retired detective sergeant in Rock Island, Illinois for more than 20 years, and he was no stranger to a criminal courtroom. So he decided to go to trial. He was found guilty of accessory after the fact and not guilty on one count of perjury. There was a mistrial declared on the second count of perjury because the jury couldn't unanimously agree on whether they believed James was guilty or not. The prosecutor chose not to retry the single perjury count. What makes this so much more tragic is that Jared's father, whose extensive law enforcement background gave him the knowledge necessary to rid his son of the worst, most identifiable evidence, thereby making prosecution difficult, if not impossible. James Chance was sentenced to probation for one year and was required to serve one month in jail. Barbara Chance pled no contest to perjury and accessory after the fact and was sentenced to just 45 days in jail and one year of probation. While it is true most parents would do anything for their children, it's unthinkable that they could ignore the pain of Ashley Young's parents and aid their child in covering up her murder and not admitting where the rest of their child was for a proper burial. This is not justice. Please listen as Ashley's parents give their views on the criminal justice system after these lenient sentences. My daughter isn't home. I'm still waiting. We're still looking for the rest of her because of things that they chose to do. If you help or you know of something that happened, a crime, and you don't do anything about it, you're just as guilty as Jared, just as guilty as the person who committed it. This is what we have of our of our Ashley. They get to go when they're done with their short time in jail. They get to go see their son. This is all we have. To this day, we still don't have her neck. We don't have her head. We don't have her hands, and we don't have her feet. A detective knows what body parts you have to have to solve the crime. All of a mm -hmm. sudden, these parts are all missing, never been recovered. Their son is too stupid to know what to get rid of. When you're out this summer and you are on the water or you are hiking and you see something suspicious, please investigate. That could be Ashley's remains but I know she's out there, and I know she needs to come home. They interviewed one of his friends named Carlos, who told police that he had seen a Facebook post about a missing female. Carlos said that the girl was with Jared when he saw her. He was friends with Jared for years, and while he admitted that Jared wasn't usually violent, he was taking pills and doing drugs and drinking heavily as of late. Jared's apartment was found to be extremely messy, and there were trash and personal belongings everywhere. When Jared was arrested, he was wearing a green t-shirt and white long underwear. Ashley drove a 2006 gold Ford Focus with pink and black animal print seat covers, and the car was eventually recovered on Alexander Street, parked on the side of the road against a curb. Jared's neighbor Mario said that Jared asked him to help Jared get inside of Ashley's locked car claiming that the keys were in the ignition, but he just wanted to move the vehicle. 
the two men were able to open her car window just enough to be able to trigger the trunk release using a hanger. Then, Mario crawled in through the trunk and unlocked the car. Police also interviewed Jared's ex-girlfriend, Tori. She and Jared dated for nearly five years and had just broken up about three weeks before Ashley's murder. The two weren't getting along, so she ended the relationship. Tori admitted that Jared did get physically assaultive towards her, but she further went on to admit that she had been physical with Jared too. After their breakup, Jared went into a dark place. He began using drugs and alcohol regularly. It got so bad that Jared was even fired from his job at Cascade Engineering. Only about two weeks before the murder, he got into a verbal argument with his supervisor, resulting in the police being called and escorting Jared from the property. His drug use escalated and he would literally use anything he could get his hands on just to get high. This included marijuana, cough syrup, Xanax, cocaine, and alcohol. He was in extreme depression, and his friend Taylor even remarked to the police that Jared's hygiene was severely lacking, and he simply wasn't taking care of himself. However, none of this makes for an excuse to rob a young woman of her life brutally, especially one who did absolutely nothing to this man. She only tried to be a friend. During further investigation, police brought a cadaver dog out on December 11, 2018 to search several areas in Grand Rapids, including several dumpsters in the area. Sadly, nothing of additional evidentiary value was found. Jared Chance was charged with second-degree murder, mutilation of a dead body, and three counts of tampering with evidence with an enhancement in penalty because he was being charged as a fourth habitual offender. This means that because of prior felony charges, his maximum sentence for his crimes increased greatly. In 2016, Jared was convicted of two counts of possession of analogs, which is drug possession. In 2011, Jared was convicted of one count of resisting and obstructing a police officer. His bond for Ashley's murder was set at $750,000. Thankfully, Jared was not able to bond out of jail pending his trial, so Ashley's poor family didn't have to see him wandering the town. Prosecutors offered Jared a plea deal, where they would only charge him with second-degree murder if he would confess and direct police to the rest of Ashley's remains. This may have provided the young family with some peace knowing they could bury their loved one in full. On the morning of jury selection, Jared rejected the plea deal. He refused to provide the young family with the one thing they so desperately wanted, which was to bring Ashley, all of Ashley, home. Jared was found guilty and sentenced to over 100 years in prison. Ashley Regina Marie Young was a beautiful, bright young woman with her whole future ahead of her. She was only 31 years old when she was so senselessly taken from the world and all that loved her. She worked at a PNC call center in Kalamazoo, and the last her co-workers would ever see her smiling face was on November 27, 2018. Ashley is described as having a kind soul, and she lit up the room with just her personality. She was beautiful inside and out, and treated everyone she encountered with kindness. If Ashley thought you were having a bad day, she would smile, saying, quote, If I bought you a smile, would you wear it? Friends affectionately called her Lily. 
Ashley just had this way about her. She made everyone around her feel comfortable, and she always went out of her way to help those in need. Her big blue eyes would sparkle when she talked about her love for different cultures and languages. Her dream was to travel the world. She mainly wanted to visit Ireland. Ashley was passionate and humble. Her friends described her as the perfect companion for road trips. Her thoughtfulness touched everyone she knew, and she frequently left random notes and gifts for her friends and people she cared for. She will always be remembered by those she loved and who loved her. In reviewing this case, justice simply was not served. Ashley's family was never able to give her a proper burial. They never got to see every person that played a role in her death pay for any type of actual debt to society. Yes, her killer will remain behind bars for the rest of his natural life, but the people that helped him carry out his horrific deed, his parents, did not receive substantial punishment. They will be able to visit their son in prison. They can write him letters and talk on the phone. The young family is forever robbed of those same moments with Ashley. They will never spend another holiday, birthday, or have a regular family dinner with her again. This is a tragedy and is completely unjust in the most real sense of the meaning. Our hearts go out to the young family and it is the greatest hope and prayer of the FTV team that they will one day get the answers they seek. We hope they can bring all of Ashley home and give her the celebration of life that she always deserved. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and the team welcomes you back for our future episodes where we will focus on crimes against children by care facility workers. For the children's stories are heavy and hard to hear and to tell, but they must be shared to shed light on this genuinely vulnerable population of victims that are often forgotten. Stay tuned for the victim. If you're interested in reading the entire police report on the Ashley Young investigation, head to our website at www.hi5hollyproductions.com. I'm Dan. I'm Elaine. And we host the Sublime True Crime Podcast. With a new episode every Sunday, we're possibly the only podcast where one of the co-hosts can't pronounce the name of their own show. Oh, but you do try. Yes, I wonder who that could be. We concentrate on UK crimes of all kinds. Murder, rape, serial killers. We've even covered the world's largest mugging recently. Though my favourite is still a Hatton Garden heist. Mine too. That was a good episode. We predominantly cover solved cases. The first episode is the exception so far, and my excuse is that we were finding our feet. Is that the one where you didn't realise it was unsolved until you'd written most of the episode and then didn't want to waste it? Maybe. We started recording in January 2020 and have released an episode every week, so there's a back catalogue there to binge. We'd love for you to come and listen to us. Just search for Sublime True Crime on any good podcast provider. Click subscribe and listen to the back catalogue of existing episodes. We do hope that you will join us soon. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.